everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Space Show Show. I'm your host, Lieutenant Commander Rebecca Frost, joined by Admiral Carrie Jackson. Hi. Good afternoon, Carrie. <laughs> How are you? Uh, you know, uh, here's, I love Star Trek. Love, love, big fan. Here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> I just, uh, I can't wait to be done with the animated series. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you have no idea how many emails I've gotten saying, look, I was with you uh, up until this point, and I'm, let me know when you're done. And I'm like, just watch the feed, and it'll say, and, you yeah, know. over yourselves, everybody. You know. <laughs> That's fine. I, okay, don't get over yourselves. I'm happy that you're here. Um but uh yeah i like i like all the episodes so it's not that i don't like them um i'm just i'm over it you know it's i keep coming back to the animation it's just mm -hmm. it's it's it makes it work it i mean and i mean as in the work you don't like you know going to work <laughs> i mean yeah. uh, it, it that's what it is it's it's I just am convinced of this, that if this were like, because a guy sent me uh, uh, emails where he says, well, you know, there are records too that are like Star Trek stories. You could you could review those. And I'm like, I think we got enough shows. That's in the, Yeah, I'm already, I've already but got the, a laundry list. <laughs> but I got thinking, you know, I'm okay watching these shows with my eyes closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I got up, I was making a quesadilla earlier and yeah. just had it going. Uh there's there's elements of these episodes that I quite enjoy and I wish I could see in live action. And we'll talk yes. about it when we get to the last episode of the season. Because that's the thing. This episode, we're wrapping up season one. Mm. Uh, and next episode, we're going to talk about all of season two because it's only six episodes. So we're so, we're so close, guys. Uh, you know, Just a couple <laughs> more episodes and then we'll get into the movies. And, you and know. Then, yeah. And then we'll get into the movies, which, by the way, I uh there's a, a youtube channel that i really love called film theory and they put out a video this week um because it was sponsored by the new star trek game that's out star trek infinite but it's called uh three deadly truths about the star trek transporter and it talks about um the transporter and the replicator and the dangers that could possibly happen and you know instances of the dangers of the transporter within the Star Trek universe. And You're telling me I don't want to get on the transporter. Huh? <laughs> and like, I understand why McCoy's afraid now because this video broke down how the transporter works and how you experience the transporter. And I was like, oh yeah, I don't ever want to do that. And so I highly recommend going, the YouTube channel is called Film Theory and it's their like newest video. Well, Super and, and then there's uh, a couple of reference books that you can pick up that, that explain in scientific theory about how the transporter would work. And that's, and that's where I learned how it all worked. And that was, uh, oh, what's, what's the name? The Star Trek Encyclopedia, I want to say. And I remember reading that going, you know, when we were kids, that was fun and everything to say, <laughs> beam me up. And it was cool to be able to do that. But when you, when you find out how it works and how yeah i'm not getting on one i'm not yeah, ever getting so on one <laughs> i i'm i wish i could have an oppenheimer type movie i made this comment on twitter and everyone was like that's just first contact i don't want the movie first contact i want an oppenheimer type movie about the creation of the transporter and the replicator because i think I would be fascinated by the trial and error behind it all. How many people have died in the process of making this? We get a brief glimpse of that in Star Trek Enterprise, 
because mm. the transporter is not quite where it needs to be for people yet. Oh, dang. Yeah. Okay, so you'll okay. get there. You'll get there. Yeah, but I just, I want, I want an Oppenheimer movie, but about that. I think it would be super <laughs> fascinating. Um, but let's let's get this over with. Uh, All right. There's the six, <laughs> the final six episodes of season one: the Terratin incident, the time trap, the ambergris element, the slaver or slayer weapon. Excuse me. Um, the Eye of the Beholder and the Jihad. Oh, uh, just some. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, the Cheriton incident, the Thumbelina episode, while observing a burnt-out supernova, the USS Enterprise picks up a strange message transmitted in a 200-year-old code. Uh, everybody gets real small in this episode. Dude, I like to get small. This episode <laughs> uh, was interesting to watch after having just binge-watched all the available Gen V episodes. I don't know if you've started watching Gen I V. I haven't yet. No, no. There's One of the characters, <laughs> she gets tiny, Little Cricket. She gets tiny, but um, the only she can only do that by purging, by puking. And so... You know, there's ties to like, you know, is it is it considered an eating disorder? And she's like, no, this is my power. It's very complicated, and I actually really like it. Um, mm -hmm. But <laughs> just can you imagine? Picture, close your eyes for a second, and just right, picture okay. you're getting so small, just yes. ever so small, like per like not no, like you can't watch it happen, but it is definitely happening. <laughs> How scary would that be? <laughs> i yeah i mean the the idea of this episode uh, <laughs> I, I i don't know it, i i wasn't invested i really wasn't i did i did like the part where they had to climb up on the consoles and sulu falls and breaks his leg because i'm like yeah that would be me that would happen <laughs> yeah just these just these thumbelina boys um some some two things that I thought were actually super interesting in this episode uh, when they're talking about um, why some things are shrinking and why some things aren't shrinking. So like, or, and they come to the conclusion that like organic material is shrinking and that's why their uniforms are also shrinking because their uniforms are made from an algae-based xenolon. And I am a firm believer that the future is in algae. I don't know if you've done research into like algae and like food reproduction and stuff like that, but like yeah. I truly think that algae is the future and uh, Star Trek has absolutely proved me right. Uh, and then something else, um, this this vi air quotes virus that gets, you know, transport that the code that contains this virus that makes everybody get smaller um, is unraveling the dilithium crystals and you know kirk even says that dilithium crystals are like they're like indestructible practically but so having something that can just simply unravel dilithium crystals with ease is actually something that's a really scary concept and i think they should do something with that <laughs> there's plenty of track ahead don't worry oh my god oh my god okay <laughs> This all comes up. It's because all the Star Trek writers are also Star Trek nerds. And they'll sit down and they'll go, how come this didn't happen? You know, they, they, that's what they do. It's It feels embarrassing for me. So, like, when I tweet about, you know, I want an Oppenheimer-type movie about the creation of the warp, like, warp drive and transporters and blah, blah, blah. And everyone's like, oh, that's just first contact. I, I'm like, listen, I... I haven't gotten there yet. Give me a minute. Like I'm still <laughs> learning too. So uh, let me be excited when this stuff comes up. Um, 
I I gotta tell you, I've been talking about DS Nine with people, and oh. I wish I could. I wish I could just jump ahead and watch DS Nine. This is I your won't. show. We can do whatever we want. Uh, <laughs> and my show has rules. Okay, <laughs> we have to watch TNG first. Um, okay. There's there's rules. Uh, which is why which is why we're doing the animated series, everybody. Um, the anyway, Thumbelina episode. It was fun to see everybody I, so tiny. Yeah, that was fun. I honestly can't tell you how they got back to being normal. I uh, they talked I to the people. I, I emotionally <laughs> checked out. I just went. I'm out. Yeah, they they talked to the people and they got be they got better somehow. And the people were little, right? Okay, yeah, I've, that's it. Well, that's when, you know, I started paying attention to the next episode, The Time Trap, which is a little bit more interesting. While exploring mm -hmm. the Delta Triangle, where many starships have disappeared, the USS Enterprise is attacked by several Klingon vessels. During the battle, they are caught in an ion storm. The Enterprise and one Klingon battlecruiser are drawn into a space-time vortex and end up in a timeless dimension. And is this the one where they do where they do this? It's the it's the it's the sh it's the ships. Oh no, it was like that, right? Am I thinking of the right episode? Uh, listen, I regret that to inform up? you. I I regret to inform you. Who knows at this point? <laughs> <laughs> it's where the the Enterprise latches onto the Klingon vessel and they have to work together, right, to get out. Y Yes, this is a good, this is a classic enemies to lovers trope where yes. <laughs> our friends who hate each other have to work together. Um, they get, you know, sucked into the equivalent of the Bermuda Triangle um, and they meet up with a, uh, the Council of Elysia, which is made up of 123 different species, I believe. Mm hmm. Uh, let's see, 123 and, races and has existed for more than a thousand years, and all of the races live in peace and harmony. And this is the one where you really learn that the, uh, the, the Star Trek cast has a limit to the number of voices that they can do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the voice of the Klingon in this episode, just classic villain behavior. <laughs> Skeletor, eh. where is our ship? Uh, this also marks the final appearance of the smooth forehead Klingons. We never see the smooth Klingon forehead again. Nope. Um, a lot of the vessels in the graveyard of ships were unapproved early designs for the insectoid ship from beyond the farthest star in one of the earlier episodes. Um, but oh, the Council really? of Elysia. Of the creatures that we see, we see an Orion woman, a Romulan, a Klingon, a creature that has bat wing ears and looks like the original version of the Xinti that appeared in illustrations, uh, an Andorian, an unknown insectoid race, uh, a Phylogian, uh, an unidentifiable humanoid female wearing an environmental helmet, a Vulcan, a, a Tellarite, a human, and a Gorn. All of these living in peace and harmony. And... Our and they're all it's because they're all ships that get sucked into this Bermuda Triangle and they can't get out. Correct. They've tried to get out, they can't make it happen. Um but our friends on the Enterprise and our friends on the Klingon ship, they want to leave. And I, this is one of those instances where I'm like, why why? Why would you want to leave? You can live for hundreds and thousands of years. I know you can't go anywhere, but you're interacting with all these species in peace. Like, what wh why why leave? 
I would I would want to be there if I was on a more modern ship that had more stuff to do than this than this Enterprise. This Enterprise is limited with its stuff to do. No holodeck. You're right. Exactly. No holodeck. Uh, if it was a hol if it was a ship with a holodeck, if it was the D or the e, I don't even know if the C had a holodeck or not, but I I'd be tempted to stay. But not mm -hmm. in this as much as I love the classic Enterprise, there's not much to do. Yeah, and that's <laughs> Honestly, the episode in a nutshell, there's not much to do here. Um, yeah. They sit around. It, it has the vibes of a courtroom episode without all the joy of a courtroom episode because we're, <laughs> we're seated with, you know, the council of people and the Orion woman who seems to be in charge. She's great. She's a sexy Orion woman and has a, a very melodic voice. But otherwise... Captain, uh, you've encountered my species before? Why, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Big fan. I like that fan. part. <laughs> he, he might as well have said, yes, big fan. He might as well. <laughs> uh, I did think it was interesting to see a Gorn there. Um, yeah. Which, which, lead, which, trapped. which, which now I, my memory is, is bad because I, I watched this episode over the weekend. Um, the Gorn, does it, does the Gorn look different from the lizard creature in the, in the Jihad? Because I was thinking that the lizard yeah. creature in the Jihad is a Gorn, but that's coming up. So anyway. no, the lizard I have that coming up, but I can I can see why you would make that mistake. I can't believe you're so racist towards lizards. Not all I lizards know. look the same, Carrie. I know, I know. I just uh, I just wrestle them. That's all I do is I fight them. <laughs> uh, uh, but speaking of lizard people, we're just gonna blast right on through to the ambergris element. Yeah. Because these episodes, what is there to talk about? Like, sorry, everybody listening and watching along at home. I don't imagine this is going to be a very long episode. <laughs> uh, it's probably for the better. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Listen, it's fine. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> while exploring the water planet Argo, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock are transformed into water breathers by the planet's undersea inhabitants, the Aquans. In order to return to their normal selves, they must enlist the help of the Aquans to capture a giant sur snake whose venom holds the antidote. Um, I want this episode was kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> and I maybe it's just because I'm a big fan of Atlantis and the concept of Atlantis. The uh, uh I liked the idea of turning Kirk and Spock into fish people. I, I, <laughs> I liked that. I liked mm -hmm. that they were, you know, the man from Atlantis and that they got their webbed hands. Uh, yeah. didn't show their feet, that would have cost extra to animate that. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, in order to save money, a couple of the swimming animations of Kirk and Spock were traceovers of the swimming animation of Aquaman, the, I, the late 1960s filmation show. I recognize that style because Aquaman <laughs> swims with his arms out like Superman, you know. This is why Spock frequently seems to be drawn as smaller than Kirk, because if anyone's going to be Aquaman, it's going to be Kirk. By God, <laughs> and and the backgrounds as well. The backgrounds look like they were reused from, you know. I mean, Filmation was producing I don't know how many shows at that time, and I'm sure a lot of them had underwater scenes. Mm -hmm. Besides the Aquaman show, I mean, I'm sure that they raided other shows, you know, down the hallways. Hey, you have an underwater thing? Yeah, we got this. Yeah, <laughs> use this. this. Here you go. <laughs> this episode does have some of 
like one of those timeless tropes though that we can experience even now in 2023 of um the olds don't like what the youngs are doing um you know the, the air the some some air breathers have been there before and the olds did not like it however the air breathers were saved by the young aquans and the and the older aquans were like oh no 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 don't don't do that again and <laughs> you know as we learn about the history of this place um they had they had to adapt so the the earth the the planet's pretty volatile and so there was a big earthquake and it made their their land sink and they you know had to surgically adapt but then over time it just became hereditary and uh now they now they just have adapted to living under sea but at the end of this episode um it's all figured out that now the uh they can go back to the surface and re populate the surface um and this isn't a bit of trivia but the enterprise crew encouraged half the pop the planet's population to stop living under seas and to colonize the surface this is a major cultural change to the aquatic species and shows a total disregard for the non-interference yep. prime directive central to starfleet they're so right yeah <laughs> and that's that? and that's what i was thinking as i was watching it i'm like you know this is this is very problematic for a lot of number of reasons you know you're gonna have your old species underwater your young species up there which means that the old the underwater species will cease to exist eventually and they'll all be land dwellers you know maybe you want to incorporate both of those lifestyles you know what i'm saying yeah. wouldn't it be great also, to be able to do both you know we're very aware that this planet is pretty volatile who's to say that this same thing is not going to happen again you probably want to keep have you probably want to keep that evolutionary trait of being able to breathe underwater i also had concerns that the enterprise was able to detect earthquakes when when they were going to happen to the minute yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and two that they're able to mitigate earthquakes hmm. with hmm. the phasers. Just shooting down in the right spot, you can stop an earthquake and make it go to another part of the planet. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it seems like this mission in particular is one that they're probably going to want to keep off the off the books. You know, <laughs> this, this is one that was just written so rapidly. It was like, okay, and then they stopped the earthquake with their phasers. Go, all right. <laughs> yeah, uh, some things that I did like um, the the water planet. It's called Argo. You know, that's a fun mythology thing. Jason and the Argonauts. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Aqua Shuttle is never mentioned by name, but it is generally accepted that it is designated the Cousteau after the famous ocean oceanographer Jacques Cousteau. Oh, no, I didn't catch that, but I did want to see more of the Aqua Shuttle. I, I liked that. In in things that i have read and seen on the internet we, the aqua shuttle remains quite the mystery because it's the only time that they ever show a shuttle going underwater mm -hmm. and then they have a boat for some reason they have a, a starfleet approved <laughs> boat as well that doesn't go underwater but i don't know mm. if you listen to jj you can take those spaceships underwater but <laughs> i mean seriously that uh, the, the ocean and water are kind of similar right yeah mm. there's no air that, yeah you'd think i mm, i don't i don't know i've never been to space i've been underwater never been to space yeah i'm not a billionaire i can't just go to space yeah. um <laughs> 
Uh, woof, okay, well, the next okay. episode, the slaver weapon. In the shuttlecraft Copernicus, Mr. Spock, Uhura, and Sulu are en route to Starbase 25 to deliver a stasis box, a rare artifact of the slaver culture when the Kinzinti intervene. Um, where was Kirk? Did, did Shatner uh, just... It's his, nah. it's his day off. He... Yeah. Because <laughs> hmm. it seems... <laughs> yeah, I, I, you never know with Shatner. You never know. It could just be, uh, I'm, I'm taking the week off, uh, so do yeah, something. <laughs> Kirk doesn't appear in this episode. Um, I kind of wish he would because this seemed like a pretty universal life or death kind of situation because the whole thing with the stasis box is once Spock figures out that it could ultimately lead to the demise of the Federation, his response is, whoops. <laughs> I kind of like, screwed up, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I, and I thought it was so, so funny that truly this this bo the stasis box where you know things are held in time could be billions of years in time will not have passed within the stasis box, but it holds these weapons that are capable of destroying the Federation. And his only response is, "Oh, whoopsie doodles." <laughs> ah, how about that? Oh, that's damned unfortunate. Oh well. <laughs> Hi. How? Oof. How illogical. Um, now, now the, the Kazinti, Gazuntite. I mean. Uh, <laughs> Is the K silent? I couldn't remember. Anyway, I, oh, kitty cats. Uh, these are the big pink. Again, what is with this animated series in the color pink? But anyway. It was believed that the Kazinti's spacesuits and ship were colored pink because director Hal Sutherland was colorblind. We talked about this previously with the yes. Tribbles. However, according to storyboard artist and character designer Bob Klein, the color director, Irvin Kaplan, who had a preference for certain colors and never listened to input from others, was to blame for this artistic choice. After this episode aired, producer DC Fontana apologized to Larry Niven. <laughs> <laughs> who wrote the episode oh and and that was yeah okay so the kazinti the, the this is a fact the, the cat creature race this is well one of many cat creature races and uh what i what i liked about these characters is how they were just they were no bullshit they were like we'll eat you yeah yeah we yeah. will <laughs> yeah and there, i like that a there is a reason why they have been um i don't even know like they the federation has been like given them a slap on the wrist, taken away their weapons and said, hey, that's that's enough out of you guys. And they've just been putzing about ever since. <laughs> they didn't seem uh, real bright. They didn't seem real bright to me. But. No, and oh, I don't, they didn't have to include this and yet they did about how apparently Gazinti women and females are not very bright and they have to be reminded that human women are in fact quite intelligent. So Spock <laughs> has to tell Uhura, hey, can you just play dumb for a little bit? And she actually takes offense to it, which good yes. as she should. <laughs> she should take offense. Another another diss to Uhura this episode. She got she got stunned three times, man. Three uh, times stunned, she got shot. Kidnapped. Yes. Uh, three times. So in this episode, writer Larry Niven introduced the cat-like alien race, the Kazinti, from his known space novels into the Star Trek universe. Niven was asked by Gene Roddenberry to adapt his own story, The Soft Weapon, into a teleplay. Officially, Kizin is the singular form of the species and Kazinti is the plural and adjective form. During the interrogation, Spock tells the others to imagine eating a raw vegetables, and in Larry Niven's stories, the common way to foil a Kazinti telepath was to imagine eating a carrot. Uh, when talking about the history of the slavers, Uhura says that one race rebelled against their masters. The rebel race was named... Uh, 
Okay. <laughs> but anyway, I thought kind of cool to have written a bunch of like you know space sci-fi stories and then have gene roddenberry come to you and say hey why don't you adapt this into a teleplay i mm -hmm. if it were me i would ascend even if it was just star trek the animated series <laughs> unrelated did you see martin scorsese compare say that his pacing for killers of the flower moon was inspired by ari aster's midsummer and Bo is afraid <laughs> No. If I was Ari Aster, I would never shut up. That would be the best compliment <laughs> you could ever receive. <laughs> yeah, but their movies aren't three and a half hours long. Uh, well, Bo was Afraid was three hours. Oh, it was? Okay, well, oh, then I'm wrong. Oh, my God. I'm yes. wrong, then, yeah, because apparently this new one is three and a half hours long. I know, and I, I agreed to go see it on Thursday, and then the Eras tour on Friday. So that's two days in a theater with three hour long movies. Oh, wow. You better Oof. take a, a bottle or something. I'm, I'm going to get one of those <laughs> diapers. <laughs> uh, anyway, the Kazinti, they were the, they were kitty people. And I'm wondering now that I'm watching the animated series, how many different races of kitty people are there in the Star Trek universe? Because I've seen three so far now. You know, there was another bit of trivia that I didn't include in this about talking about the the descent of the Kazinti and whatever Lieutenant Emrys is, whatever uh, species he is, if they are kind of similar to the Romulans and the Vulcans and they have descended mm. from a similar line and that's why they are kind of similar in appearance. Mm. Okay, okay. I liked how uh, the older Xinti was telepathic and who, who looked like uh, Cringer before he changes to Battle Cat. It had that face, you know, that... Ooh. What is Cringer? He-Man. He oh. <laughs> don't, be, don't be embarrassed. I'm the one who doesn't know. <laughs> He turns he turns Cringer into Battle Cat and he because Cringer is afraid kitty. He's afraid kitty. Kitty. All right, let's move on. Uh, I do <laughs> the spacesuits that they wear, I do want to get those for my cats and put my cats in those spacesuits. Um and the thing at the end of this episode is the weapon, because it was put in stasis during war, um, when they reactivate it, um, it thinks it has been captured by the enemy, so it self-destructs, essentially. And Sulu says that it's a bummer that they couldn't salvage it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that's, a, that's a Federation ending weapon, and you wanted to salvage it? Or a Federation empowering weapon. Next Hi. time them Klingons act up, baby. Yeah, yeah You just yeah. have to do the puzzle to make it work is all. But anyway. Uh, the eye of the beholder, the disappearance of a scientific team lures the USS Enterprise to investigate near Lactra 7. The starship Ariel is located there, abandoned, with its captain having transported to the planet's surface. A classic menage. A menage. I knew you would be excited with the menage. <laughs> I do love a menage. <laughs> uh, this this was a nicer menagerie in that it's more of like an open air zoo, um, more of like a sanctuary that you would see big wild cats at. Like it's mm -hmm. so big and spacious and whoozy watsy. This episode has a lot of sassy Spock and McCoy interactions, which I'll I was say. very yeah. happy to see. Um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a menage, and this the slugs that that run this place are very intelligent. And and again, you can save on voice actors by making all your characters telepathic. Mm -hmm. 
Because <laughs> if you had the slugs talk, then you had all the other people talk, all those extra voices, it's going to cost more money. Uh, just make the slugs telepathic. That's cheaper. Go ahead. Yeah, they spent all their money on Sassy, Spock, and McCoy interactions. There's a moment, <laughs> there's a moment where uh, that highlights these two just so well. Where they're testing a, a like a lake of water, and the water is, is very, very pure, too pure, says mm -hmm. Spock. And he's t Spock is testing it with a device, whereas McCoy tastes it with his mouth. Yeah. Again, the man, ready to die, just, <laughs> will just try not by anything. A, just not by transporter. I will die not, anyway, but transporter. Not at the hands of the transporter. Um, they come across a dinosaur-type creature, and it falls on McCoy, and McCoy gets crushed like the wicked witch that he is, which I thought was kind of <laughs> funny. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, there's, uh, but it's it it is your classic Menage episode in that mm -hmm. uh, they they capture our people, our people find a way to get out slash communicate with them. I love how at at the end of the day, that it was it was Scotty who was able to make you know you're down there you're with Kirk Spock McCoy and other Federation officers and you're thinking surely all of these people with their combined brains would mm -hmm. be able to find a way out. No, it's Scotty talking to the kid slug. That's how it saves the day. Scotty and the kid <laughs> slug. So way I, to go. I would love to see more instances of Scotty with animals or children, because I think he would do very well in either instance. I, I have a feeling Scotty is very good with animals and also probably kids. As much as he dislikes kids, I bet he's very good with them. Uh, my father owned a sheep ranch, I'm sure, <laughs> back in Edinburgh. <laughs> anyway. um, I don't have trivia for this episode. I have a bit of um, continuity complaint where Kirk sanctimoniously poise that or posits uh, that the captain of a ship must follow the book. The number of times in which Kirk has violated oh, orders, both direct and general, to save the lives of his crew and individual Listen. members of it would fill a book. <laughs> Listen, after the first season of the original series, anybody who's complaining that Kirk doesn't follow orders. Hmm on <laughs> uh, yeah seriously um yeah smart slugs cool cool uh yeah. i yeah I, the other thing i like about every single menagerie episode is is concluded oh humans don't belong in menagerie every mm -hmm. single time humans get let out yep. of menagerie because we're so much better than the we're so griffin people or whatever <laughs> tell, tell me how good humans are after the name of this episode, the Jihad. The wow. USS Enterprise arrives at the Vendala asteroid where Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock have been summoned to learn about a stolen religious artifact, the Soul of Score, whose theft could ignite a galactic holy war. Um, I, like I said, like I said, I think before we started recording, I was, I had just watched this episode and was kind of rewatching it, mm -hmm. um, because it has. This, this is, again, the benefit of an animation that I was talking about in the very first episode of the animated series that we were talking about. The beauty of animation is that you can do something like this where you can have all of these various alien mm -hmm. creatures mm -hmm. and doing something cool, working yeah. all together. I thought that was awesome, and I would yeah. love to see more of that. It was great. 
until the end <laughs> until the end the the, the predictable end and um, you're like why did you do this mr birdman why did you do this well i mean it makes sense because he so, so well, no i mean i understand why he stole the box he wanted to start a holy war why all of these people trying to rescue the box well okay well okay so 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 kirk and spock accept a secret mission which again i love when uh secret mission when they do secret missions mm -hmm. um the the mission is put together by the the vedala the oldest spacefaring race in the federation which please tell me more about that dying to know um to a mad planet where they'll search as two and a sixth member team of specialists so the other people on this team are tachar who is the prince of score the birdman birdman um and it's his people who created this religious relic that could start the holy war mm -hmm. um sword his people are cautious and, and sword has been sentenced to this expedition um mm -hmm. m3 green an expert locksmith and thief and the whiniest member of the team um <laughs> and laura a hunter with a flawless directional sense um and also the horniest member of the crew yeah and also didn't really dress for the occasion did she i <laughs> <laughs> but also i think it's hilarious spock was chosen for his analytical mind and scientific expertise which mm -hmm. i totally believe but also kirk was chosen for his leadership and adaptability could have gotten anyone else anyone else Scotty. i'm sure <laughs> Scotty. <laughs> anybody else would have made his fantastic leader and is yeah. also super adaptable i think yeah. kirk is just there because he's like spock's emotional support captain or something it's because they're they're a couple there you don't separate a couple there was a moment in this episode where i was like oh my god are they gonna kiss <laughs> i wish i could remember specifically what it was but they were talking about how much like they like each other or something and i was like oh my god they're gonna kiss um uh yeah uh but you know the the thing i the, the biggest takeaway for me with this episode give me more alien and different species interaction please mm -hmm. they i not everybody has to be humanoid give me a weird slug guy who complains <laughs> who complains about being put on this mission <laughs> yeah i actually kind of liked m3 i thought he was kind of cool he he was perpetually sad perpetually scared but <laughs> yeah. but when when the shit hits the fan he's there to pick the locks you know i mean he's he's the mm -hmm. best lock pick in the universe and and by god he does it and he does it well mm -hmm. uh, you know and and the lizard guy maybe he's a gorn maybe he's not i don't know He's there for what? Brute, brute strength, I guess. He was sentenced, um, so it, it is All part right. of part of his punishment. He uh, was sentenced to this because surely, because three teams in the past have tried to do this and they have all died, and so this is the team that's going to do it. Again, I ask why? Why? Because this thing, because this wep because this weapon could yes. breed a stupid number of soldiers no. in a short amount of time and i get that mm -hmm. but why didn't birdman just hide it instead of he, saying let's go save it three times with three different groups uh, what's the Carrie, point i have to yeah. it sounds like you're asking a lot of questions I and <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll i'll let it go uh back to laura uh who again dressed inappropriately for this <laughs> Brooklyn accent? I maybe. Uh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> in space, but anyway. <laughs> uh, 
uh, she kept referring to herself as human, but she had these wild alien-like eyebrows, which I she thought She had were them Vulcan-like eyebrows. Yeah, so I didn't buy that she was a human, but anyway. Well, I don't, uh, I don't think she was a human. Let's what, see, does uh, this say I, I thought she, she said she referred to as, but he's not human like us. We're talking about Spock. Because oh. that's because when she was talking about you know where I come right. from when we when we want to get with somebody we just say it so I'm just telling you right now Captain Kirk <laughs> he's yeah. not human like us Spock you know yeah 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 I don't uh, know. again there so, I go so to Char Birdman stole the relic um, in the first place he is a prince who wants to reclaim the lost glory of his race. You are absolutely correct. Why? 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 Yeah, why not just hide it and then come up with a story saying that these people must have stolen it and that, that, let's start the war, you know? Yeah. And then you know, he gets captured and the Vidali request everybody to keep the mission a secret and send them back with their thanks, not even a gift bag or anything. Uh, cool. Uh, the end of season one. <laughs> the, the end of season one. Uh, and now I'm wondering about how many other bird species there are. Uh, because yeah. these guys come back in lower decks, these these bird people. Is it these pe are these oh, specific? Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And I think that the, the therapist on the Cerritos... If he's not a member of the species, it's adjacent. Professor Miglymoop or whatever his name is. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Paul, uh, Paul F. Tompkins, Tompkins character. Oh, I think is... is somehow related. You see, the the lower decks people they've been they've been picking and choosing from all over the Star Trek universes with their stuff, <laughs> and I know that they've been borrowing quite a bit and doing some stuff with with the animated series, and and there was there was the species where peanut hamper goes to that uh -huh. planet of bird people. And I think it's the same bird people. I could be wrong, but okay, I'm pretty let's, sure. Let's, okay, Dr. Miglimo. Miglimo is a member of an ornithoid species. Let's see, uh, species unnamed. So he's unnamed. An unnamed. Okay. So he's adjacent to this uh, race, I guess. Cause he doesn't really have the ability to fly, I don't think. I don't Could think be. so. I don't know. Um, okay, well, let's do. Let's just do a quick um, googly search. Uh, who did Peanut Hamper go? Peanut Hamper Bird Planet or something like that. <laughs> but that's but Peanut Peanut Hamper practically took over the bird the bird planet, and I'm pretty sure it's the same species. I could be wrong. Uh, let's see. Uh... This is the part of the program where we think, Bing, the official search engine. Bing. I have oh. to die before I use Bing. Let's the official see, search uh, engine of the Space Show Show. The one that when you say, let's Bing that, is very off-putting to the people you say that to. So that I don't even know. It's not the Tachar. It's not the or the, score, the, the score. Excuse the me. Score. They're called the score. Um, this bird race is called... I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's spelled A R E O R E. Error. Error. I'm embarrassed. I, Error. I, I watch a lot of lower decks, but you'd think I'd retain how to pronounce stuff, and I don't. Your. Um, uh, my takeaway is they are not the same. <laughs> okay, they're not the same. That that was really all my, my only question. Ebarden. 
The Evarden yeah, are not the same as the score. Yeah, to thanks char. for listening to me Google search for five minutes, everybody. Bing, um, ladies and gentlemen, the official this... search engine of... <laughs> Again, I'll die before I use Bing. Um, writer David Gerald asked to do a voice in this episode so he could get a Screen Actors Guild card. And according <laughs> to Gerald, he was not satisfied with his performance. He's the he's the lockpick bug man, right? He's M3, he... I think is do 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 uh, pretty sure he's m3 e3 yes. e m3 green yes that is mm -hmm. him uh yeah hope hope you enjoyed that card that screen actors guild card was the health insurance worth it um <sighs> yeah but anyway, that's season one of yeah. the animated series listen i like the stories I think they're cool ideas and cool concepts, but I I hate to say I am I am ready to move on. Yeah. Uh, How many episodes are left? Six. Of so season six two? episodes. So the next episode that we record will just be season two, and then we can walk away from this forever and never talk about it again. But then we get into Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Then the we Star get into Trek, the movies. The Star Trek movie that only I loved. <laughs> No one else loved it but me. It's I okay. Get, I there I get, are. I can't believe there are six movies we're gonna have to watch. Well, now this is the next question: Is do we stop the movie rotation at a certain point where the next generation started up, or do we do all the original cast movies and then start with next generation? So I mean, this it, is your show. So yeah, here's my schedule that I have lined up in my spreadsheet. Uh, next episode, we are going to be talking about season two of the animated series, and then you okay. guys can, if you have not been listening, then you can come on back. Um, and then the next six episodes of this show will be Star Trek The Motion Picture, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, Star Trek V The Front of Frontier, and Star Trek VI The Undiscovered. And then we will jump into Next Gen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's what you have to look forward to coming up here on the Space Show Show. Um, you know, if you have any questions or requests, um, find me, get in the comments, uh, or yeah. wherever wherever you know just find find me online and ask I, them. I know we're both still you know some of the last standouts on uh, on twitter so you, you could reach us directly there mm -hmm. going know, down or, with that ship yeah so you could go at geek show is one it's uh, mm -hmm. at you gross rebecca mm -hmm. or at r-f-h-k-e-r-r-y we're still there on and twitter yeah i'm trying to use at space show show more but listen i can barely function and use my Twitter account. <laughs> I cannot be expected to consistently update another Twitter account. So <laughs> there are too many social medias and until mm -hmm. everyone decides on one or two, like the old days, then we'll be more active until then there's too, too goddamn many of them. Yeah. I'm just, I'm begging Elon to make us pay for Twitter because that is the thing that will make me jump ship. You know what may make me jump off of social media altogether? Is Our it, stupid is... state is talking about making it so you have to show your ID to get online on a social media site. Mm. If that happens, I am out. I don't yeah. need Spencer Cox up there tell, you know, with all of that information because I've seen how he runs the place and I don't know what he's going to do with my information. 
So. Yeah, the uh, the other thing about it, I know Governor Cox wants to ban TikTok because it's meant it's affecting the mental health of the youths. But do you also know where the youths get ninety nine percent of their information about the world? Mm -hmm. TikTok. Yeah. And this is listen conspiracy corner for another time. But I just think it's part of the right wing conspiracy to help eliminate the youth vote for future elections. But that's just me. Which they shouldn't do because their voters are dying. Like, listen, the the passage of time is inevitable. These people yeah. are going to grow up and vote. And if maybe if you just did things right, you wouldn't have to be concerned about the, the youth voters. That's a whole other conversation. A wise, wise comedian once said, and I believe her, and I believe her about this, when she said, I tend to listen to what the young people are saying, because you know what? They're usually right. Mm -hmm. Sarah Silverman. She Listen, are they are they kind of stupid? Yeah, we were all kind of stupid when we mm -hmm. were younger too. I mean, there's also there's also the whole thing about the boomerification of Gen V or Gen Z because <laughs> this this turned into generation talk. I'm sorry, but the whole thing about how millennial, you know, each generation does the thing where they are not going to parent the way that their parents parented them, mm -hmm. right? And so mm -hmm. millennials have kind of millennials and Gen X have kind of swung the op opposite direction of the pendulum where, you know, Gen X, or like boomers were very much like don't talk about your feelings, you mm -hmm. work hard and you are a slave to capitalism. Whereas <laughs> um a lot of later Gen X and millennials are now raising their kids to be like you matter your voice matters. You do not owe anybody anything. But because of that, we're raising a generation of narcissists. And so it's kind of turned into the boomerfication of Gen Z, where they think they are owed everything and they don't need to listen to other people. So <laughs> <laughs> just kind of interesting to see the way the pendulum swings back and forth. Uh, all right. Anyway. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on this episode <laughs> of the Space Show Show. If you're oh. skipping these, if you're skipping these episodes, you're missing out on some fantastic conversation. Uh, I know we're gonna put out a big promo to let you know we're done with the animated series. <laughs> once we're done with the animated series, and y'all can come back. I, uh, you know, all right, I'm, but in the meantime, we're gonna keep going where no man has gone before. But a lot of people have gone before. <laughs> thanks everybody.